Hi, everybody. Welcome back to this week's SomaCast. Uh, I am a Synod of Mid-America Executive Landon Witsit. With me, as always, is Synod Stated Clerk Brian Ellison. Brian, hi. How are you? Well, it's always a pleasure to see you, Landon. Always a pleasure. Um, we've been dealing with uh, tornado sirens. They're testing the sirens. Do they test sirens other places, or is it just us Midwesterners who test sirens? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, they must test them anywhere they have them, I would think, but probably not as often. Not, not every Wednesday uh, morning at 11 a.m., which I guess I've now revealed when we are taping today's show, but that's fine. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, you live real close to uh, where protests were happening in Kansas City, uh, what, less than a mile, if I remember right. How, how are things in your neighborhood? Yeah, that's true. Um, so I live in Midtown, Kansas City, pretty close to the Country Club Plaza, which was the site of um, of the protests. And um, you know, it's been a it's been an interesting and a little bit disconcerting time. I will be honest. Um, uh, you know, the there is no question about the uh, appropriateness of um, of standing up and saying the things that are being said and um, bringing to America's attention the um, the realities of what's going on and um, and the the consequences of racism as it's affecting um, African Americans and really affecting our whole country. Um, each night for the last several nights, helicopters have begun circling uh, overhead here uh, at about three or four in the afternoon, and that's gone on well into the night. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is that the, the Kansas City Police have been protecting this shopping area, the Country Club Plaza, um, and the effect of that has been to push uh, the protesters away from the shopping area and essentially into these more residential areas that surround it, um, including mine. Um, so, you know, it's been hard to see some local businesses, including businesses owned by people of color and LGBTQ people, um, having windows broken and um, having to figure out what they're doing uh, to, to, to protect their property. But at the same time, um, I'm hearing a lot of them say, let's address the underlying issues. Let's not, um, let's not focus on property destruction, which doesn't even begin to compare to the loss of life that's been happening out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I will say I am, I am proud of, of our son who has been down at protests, uh, our oldest son who has uh, gone down to be there. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that the things that, you know, that, that we, you and I, you know, we're, we're close enough that we consider each other family. The things that we have been trying to teach these children uh, seems to be sinking in um, justice and solidarity. So that is good. Um, Absolutely. Interesting and disconcerting times is uh, is right. Uh, I think you are correct. And so that's one reason we are glad to have our particular guest on today, um, Amaury Tenant Santos, the Reverend Amaury Tenant Santos, who is Associate Synod Leader in the Synod of the Northeast. Amaury, uh, thank you for joining us today. It is uh, it is real a real pleasure to see your face, friend. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's good to be here um, in the capital region of of New York State, um, where yeah, protests have been happening. Uh, news from Cobble War Churches uh, downtown that the buildings at the, at the, are scathed, but you know, not not even a block away. Um, some of these protests um, have been happening, and 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 the difficulty of 
walking along people in, in this whole violence versus the need to, uh, to vent and to express anger and what does that look like and that this is not new, right? right. You know, this, has, this is 400 years nope. in the making. Um, is, it has been an interesting part of our work here in the Albany area, but also certainly Senate-wide. Yeah, yeah. One of the reasons, friends, that we've asked uh, Amaury to join us um, is his work with some of the uh, young emerging leaders, I believe is what you call them, uh, the, the emerging leaders there in the Senate of the Northeast, uh, have put together uh, what they uh, have titled a confession for such a time as this. And I became aware of this um, a, a couple of years ago. I knew it was happening, but it is it has come up in some of the social media circles that I am a part of recently, because specifically people are naming the anti-fascist elements of this confession. And one of the reasons yeah. uh, people have been noting that um, have, has been the, the behaviors and the actions of the current presidential administration. I mean, here we are just, what, a couple days uh, removed from the president uh, having protesters tear gassed in Lafayette Square to walk over to St. John's Episcopal Church. Um, so anti-fascism is on people's lips, and a Maori specifically has been um, a voice uh, a, a, a loud voice that I have been listening to reminding us that anti-fascism is who we are as Presbyterians. Our confessional history is one of anti-fascism. So, Maori, I'm really, I'm really pleased and I feel privileged that, that you've taken some time to, to talk to us about that. Um, tell us a little bit about your context before we get into the statement, how the statement came to be. Uh, set the scene for folks who don't have the privilege of, of, of knowing you already. So um, I serve as a Synod Networker for the Synod of the Northeast. Um, networker is a very strange title that um, a group that wrote our current uh, strategy uh, came out, brought to uh, assembly, and um, went out and seek that position six years ago. Um, and is this very nimble and open position of sending somebody from staff at the Synod level with the intentionality of connecting folks with uh, similar passions in ministry, mission, and witness, so that folks together can better resource each other, encourage each other, and find uh, ways of moving those ideas uh, forward, right? Uh, that, that started with the formation of formal networks in the Senate, which we're still doing some of that, but realizing fairly quickly into that work that having a meet council um, go to people and ask the questions and listen to those stories and tell those stories and connecting those stories, right? Uh, was in and of itself uh, a significant uh, contribution to the discernment and vocation and energy of, of people. You know, I, I, I tell people have jokingly, you know, that, that, that we have a budget set, you know, to, to encourage people financially also in some of the work, but most of what I do is just bringing people together and the energy that that sparks is, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch, you know, uh, again, around mission and ministry and, and witness. This is happening, of course, in the Northeast, um, which is literally the Northeast corner at the, of, of the church, Presbyterians in 22 presbyteries, about 1,100 congregations and worshiping communities and, and fellowships in the states of New York, New, Jer New Jersey, and the six New England states, right? So, um, However you divide that, right, you know, it's, 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 it's a very wide region uh, at the geographically. Um, I, uh, I, I say, you know, that it is the most diverse expression of the Presbyterian Church USA. It is 
perhaps the most diverse expression of our country and certainly the most densely populated, right? Um, but also Presbyterians in a, a very different patches, right? You know, you have metropolitan New York and metropolitan Boston um, in, 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 in our bounds. But you also have Presbyterians in the New Englands, which uh, historically is not a very Presbyterian part of the country, right? You know, it's a seeking to be, you know, faithful reformed presence at the, up there in, in, in the New Englands, right? Um, so, so, so that's at the, what I do. As in order to encourage some of that work, one of the things that six years ago, the New Way Forward encouraged us to do was what would it look like for us to gather very intentionally, at least once a year, young ministry leaders from throughout uh, the Senate, right? And, you know, we, we capped the age at 40, random, right? You know, and, and, and you know, 40, what does that mean? Um, right. but of course, the church is 60 something, whatever, right? You know, so we, we, we capped the age at 40. We, right. Our definition of young, uh, mine, mine at least, keeps getting older I, for some reason. I don't I'm know still why. the youngest guy. <laughs> right. yeah. Thank you, right? You know, um, so, so, so we capped it at that age. We also said that we were going to gather not only ordained leaders, but people who are, were also not ordained. So, so definitely ministers, ruling elders, and deacons, you know, but also people who are around that age uh, frame that are serving actively in their congregations who are faithful Presbyterians, right? You know, and we have been doing these gatherings um, about four of them, so on and off at the, for the past six years. In, 20, in 2017, the summer, the, the fall of 2017, this group uh, started gathering. We were preparing, of course, for uh, assembly in 2018, in the, in the fall of 2018. And they decided to gather over a long weekend and have conversations around our confessions, right? The Saratoga Statement, right? At the, at the, which was something that came out, it came out of Next Church. Some of our confessions in, 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 the, in the Book of Order. And what do those tell us? What, what are those historic expressions of the church tell us who are newer, quote unquote, um, uh, uh, the leaders at, of the church? And, and how, how do we react and how do we respond and how do we seize, right? That historical witness in, in our work. After that conversation, it stayed with most of the people that were gathered in that room. It might be time for us to start writing our own confessions. Think about it. Um, the, the, the brief statement of faith and the confession of, 60, of 67, right, are our youngest um, expressions, American expressions of confession of faith in the Presbyterian world, right? You know, we added Belhart, which is not an American expression of it. Right. And the brief and, statement of faith, we should say, was 1991. So it's not, it's also not that recent. <laughs> right, right. So what would it look like? So, so if we're gathering as young ministry leaders and we are uh, reflecting on the historic witness of the church, one, why is it that the church, with the things that has happened since the 90s, right, since the, the early 90s, has not sat down and done an expression of confession or a statement of faith, right, that speaks to our current time, which is really what statements of faith and confessions are in a, in, in a book of, of confessions. And two, we're not going to wait for the church to do that. I think we need to do it our own thing. And then following the, the, the leading of next church in putting out the Saratoga statement, we were going to do uh, the, the same thing. So this statement came out and a whole bunch of those leaders that wrote that statement in the document, when you see it uh, 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 uploaded, you'll see it, who signed that statement. We're becoming commissioners to send an assembly. 
they said, we're going to bring this to commission um, as, as an, uh, to assembly, as you say, as an overture and, and, and bring it forth. So a confession for such a time as this was put forth to the, uh, to the 2018 uh, assembly of, of the Senate. And there was a lot of discussion and there were a lot of intents to amend it, right? And we can talk about that in, in a minute. And what came out was that the Senate Assembly was, was going to send uh, this document for the study and reflection of presidents and congregations and for it to be taken up for adoption at a later, uh, at a, at a later meeting of, of the Senate. Um, this is Amaudi speaking, not the Senate staff person right now. I am looking forward. Uh, for this coming up in the coming uh, assembly in, in October, and we'll see um, so how that happens. Can I ask you some things about this, Amore? Like, So it's called a, a confession, which is this very um, traditional church language, and it starts with, um, I mean, let me, I'm just going to read a couple sentences from the beginning of the confession. We young ministry leaders serving in the Synod of the Northeast who work in a diversity of contexts and minister to a diversity of people declare that we are one church bound together in a law of love through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is one spirit in whom we are baptized and she makes no distinction in her people. It is one Lord we praise, one creator, one redeemer, one sustainer, three in one, undivided. And as our Lord is one, so are we. That is about as traditional a confessional statement sound as I can imagine. That is, that is so very, um, well, Traditional. Why did you choose the vehicle of a confession and and a fairly traditional sounding one at that to say these things, which are, um, I believe, uh, more groundbreaking than that format would suggest? And also the structure of, of the confession itself, right? You know, it's is it's this uh, movement that I think it even has some cadence, right? From we reject to we confess to we affirm, right? At all throughout the the document, right? That that mirrors Belhar. Very traditional, um, so somewhat, right? right? Um, in, in its writing, there, there are two things that, that I think went on to that. One, I think the young ministry leaders wanted to make sure that this document, although it was an expression that came out of them, right, could become something for the wider church, right? Certainly for the for, for the synod. And two, I think they also wanted to put forth something that people that were making it or, or who are going to make a decision to adopt uh, this statement as a statement of, of a council could quickly relate to, right? Um, and, 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 and framing it in, in, in that way, right? I think was important. I think the other thing is writing a statement and, 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 and bringing a voice that connects itself, again, to the historical nature of, 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 of our confessional reality and, and, and theological history. Right, you know, we, we, they didn't want to write something that was a standalone um, piece of opinion, if you will. You know, that is needed, right? At the, and, and that moves at the people. We want to write something that can actually give a witness to where we are at there right now, but could also become uh, a guide that actually um, and, and encourages us to to think and rethink what is it that we are doing as Presbyterians that requires for Presbyterians, doing at the, what we are, what we feel called to do requires that connection to our historical uh, expressions of faith. Yeah. I find myself um, really taken with it. And I, I'm curious about 
you say there were a lot of efforts to amend it on the floor of the uh, of the Synod Assembly. Uh, what were people's responses like, uh, whether they were affirming responses or critical ones, or or what was the nature of these amendments that people wanted to make? So, so, so for context, right, you know, so, so, so we're in Synod Assembly, a lot of the people that wrote uh, this document were in the room and were actually commissioners also, right, you know, so, so, you know, that's part of it. Of it. As might happen in, in, in Mid-America and happens in General Assembly, the average age of, of the Assembly is fairly up there um, in, in, in the 50s and 60s, if, if not over. And one of the things that struck me um, very early on in that conversation um, was the intent of some to mark the discussion as a generational, as an intergenerational discussion, right? You know, young people pegged against against old people because they weren't talking to each other, right? You know, and young people need to understand that we need to make things more palatable for the older four to adopt, right? Um, and, and that was really interesting. The second thing that that was uh, interesting to to put forth, and you can see, you can see it in most of the rejects and the and the confess. But the indicting of the church as part of the action or inaction that perpetrate or, or, or maintain or encourage actions of discrimination and rejection and xenophobia and expressing the document white supremacy, right, um, just blew a whole bunch of people's minds at the, uh, off the bat, right? And that was part of the, of the core uh, conversation about it. How can we, how can we temper the document um, so that folks can uh, can can actually read through it and work uh, through it? I got to say, well, one of the things that I love about this document, though, is the is the lack of tempering, if you will. I, I mean, you're, you're right. It it starts out boldly. We reject the twin heresies of white supremacy and racism. There's a confession, there's an affirmation associated with that. Uh, later on, uh, we reject the marketing of fear as a tool of the powerful. I'm assuming uh, this may be one of the sections that has raised the, uh, is why you and your colleagues in the Northeast were like, hey, we've got this confession for this, uh, for this moment. Um, it, I mean, it really speaks we to what we're dealing with. Yeah, we're in the Northeast to say that we reject the greed of corporate capitalism as right. one of the chief purveyors of injustice in our nation. Yeah, right. I mean, New York City are, and Boston are are in your synod, right? I tell I tell people one of the difficult things of organizing social justice witness in our region is that not only do we have to serve eight state capitals, at least four of those uh, policies, you know, policy setting uh, at capitals have national repercussions. You know, think Trenton, Albany. Um, uh, uh, and Boston, right? They, 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 for, for instance, right? And and all of those, <laughs> right, participate um, in this, mm -hmm. right? And we are in, the, in 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 a part of the country where Presbyterianism has been in place, right, for well over three hundred and fifty years, right? The first English-speaking worship service in the United States was celebrated, right, in First Church Elizabeth, in the Presbytery of Elizabeth, right? Jamaica Church, right, is over 370 uh, years old in Queens, mm -hmm. right? So, so this very patriotic church, right, 
has a lot of participation in this. And people, I mean, debated this on the floor. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. Uh, take us, t take a step back with us. Uh, you know, let's let's uh, let me ask you to put your 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 minister of words, I give a teaching elder hat on. Uh, and for those of uh, of our listeners and viewers, our, our tens of listeners and our tens of viewers who don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who are not as well versed uh, as as we have been forced to be through our training about what it means to be a confessional church, a confessional Christian. Um, yeah, yeah, Brian uh, helpfully said, like this is a very traditional statement, and it's a confessional statement, and and that is that means something particular for us. When we're talking to uh, our, our siblings in in the pews who would like to use you know, or who would like to understand how do I respond to this moment when they see the president standing in front of a church holding up a Bible, how do we use a document like this or a statement like this, a confession like this, or indeed, as you have rightfully noted this week online, several of the documents in our book of confessions, how do we use these documents as Christians, as Presbyterians to speak to this moment and to lead us in action? Uh, talk to us like we're a, we're a confirmation class. How do we do that? And, and, and through that, I think it's also a burden of, of, of me council leaders, even when we're, if they're working with uh, pastors and, and other leaders in, in congregations, in a country and in a time when I think people's minds are so uh, bugged into this reactionary mode that we have found ourselves in, right? COVID and social justice and, and all this kind of stuff. People would rather have an email to somebody responding by saying this is what you need to do and this checklist will find you faithful right and that is not who we are <laughs> as as as, as, as right. um some of you at the mind it's hard to be people who have to think isn't it? absolutely <laughs> it's so hard. right absolutely <laughs> i'll never forget when um in in general assembly we were having conversations around the role of sessions in authorizing buildings around the issue of 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 marriage right um, and and the and the and, and the rewriting in the book of order uh, affirming freedom of conscience, right? Of sessions in the responsibility and of ministers in the responsibility around that. As a person who was born and raised an American Baptist and a Baptist of Puerto Rico, right? For Baptists, where freedom of conscience is a core tenet of the way we understand that they understand themselves as as, as a people. I was mind boggled, you know, to see this bunch of Presbyterians freaking out that we were going to put freedom of conscience in the book of order, right? And part of the reason why I think we freak out when we are reminded that as a people, we have a freedom of conscience, which affirms that there, not only are we responsible to each other in the community, but that responsibility is enlightened, encouraged, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? So, 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 so it's this three-part relationship, you know, that, that, that drives us to our individual response and our collective responsibility in that response, right? So, so, so that on the freedom of conscience part of things. So how do we guide and encourage the freedom of conscience? The Reformed tradition has, has, has said that we're going to do that by stating critical moments of our history, whether it's critical because of what's happening in the political and social sphere, or it's critical because of what's happening in our 
theological rethinking of who we are and what we witness and how we witness even that we're going to sit down and write statements that will more or less it's written by human beings anyway we're more more or less write and express a faithful articulation of what we are that collection of of thought that is historic right our book of confessions is huge right um that, that is historic should be and guide every single believing presbyterian right to understand that this moment in history is not the first time the church has found itself in a difficult moment our expression of uh, our our witness that this moment in history requires not only a paper printed statement of what we believe but our hands and feet out on the street right, right? and the reason we can say that is because we haven't been here this is not the first time we're here right Right. We were here in the 90s. We were here in the late 60s. We were here um, at the, in, in, in the 80s as we confessed together with, the, with, with South Africans. We were here during World War II. We were here during the Reformation that, should we forget, right, was as much a political shifting in continental Europe as it was a theological shifting, right? Mm -hmm. The reason folks in London and folks in, in, in Germany had to sit down and write those statements wasn't only to make sure that people understood the difference between what they were articulating and the state religion that it was articulating, but because that articulation was, was going to bring repercussions, social, political, and even to their lives when they put themselves out there to do that. Yes. So, it, so take us on, uh, on a whirlwind tour as we, I mean, as we prepare to move up to to this confessional statement out of the Synod of the Northeast. Take us through the 1930s Barman Declaration that is in uh, the Presbyterian Church's Book of Confessions. Take us through the Confession of 1967 adopted at the heat of the, the Civil Rights Movement. Take us, take us up through uh, how we ended up with this statement out of South Africa um, the Confession of Belhar in our in our Book of Confessions, uh, in, and do all of this in two minutes. But, right. but, but but tell us where where does a confession from a whole different time and place have something to say in this moment in American history? We are a religious tradition that witness to a two thousand year old hope that the restoration of the world will happen in the moment when our savior Jesus Christ comes back from wherever he went, right? And earth and, and heaven and everything will be made new, right? There are times when that waiting frustrates the believing Christian, right? And I get it. Right. And there are times when that frustration comes when the believing individual or the believing community realizes that injustice and oppression and division are coming from forces that we still can, rec can, can reconcile what is our responsibility within them. Right. American Christians, I think by and large, 
still continue to walk this very um, difficult path of what is the Christian's responsibility in the spiritual fear, but also in the political and social uh, sphere, right? You know, we then claim separation of church and state. Whatever the state is doing is not our responsibility. And what confessions do, those written by us and also those written by others in other countries, is bring us context, right? The reason we need to speak out against the state-sanctioned forces that without repercussion kill black people is not a thing that happened a couple of weeks ago in Minneapolis, right? It has been happening for 400 years. So that's what we recognize as a historical statement. We confess in a historical statement that that 400-year-old history has Presbyterian written all over it, right? And I say Presbyterian, I'm not indicting anybody else because I'm a Presbyterian. Other folks need to, need to indict themselves in a similar way. So that's what we confess, right? For 400 years, Presbyterians perpetrated this and worse, use scripture and use confessions to affirm that that was a thing to do, right? So now we're found in this time challenged by the historical expressions and struggle, people on the street that in the 80s, in the 90s, and in the 30s put their lives in the middle, right? To say, this is not the right thing to do because, like, like that statement says um, at, uh, at the beginning, I'm scrolling at the, uh, I'm sorry, right? Um, if we are going to aff affirm the Lordship of, of Jesus Christ, what has, what has happened to us in, in, in baptism and that we trust the sustaining of our God, whatever the state is doing and allowing to happen is not what we're for. So these are the actions that, that we take, which is the other thing that confessions do, right? It not only connects us to the historical witness of, of the church, and by witness, I don't mean what we say, right? It connects us to, to the real actions of people and every single confession in our book Will, will show us. This is what German Reformed Lutheran Congregationalists did. This is what uh, uh, people of the Dutch Reformed tradition in, 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 uh, of color in Africa did. This is what in 67, right before the, the, the reunion of our church, there were people thinking we ought to be, uh, to, to be doing, right? Um, and so the question for us is, how does that speak to what we ought to be thinking, what we ought to be uh, witnessing, and what we ought to be doing yeah. in, in our lives. And I think that's what the, yeah. that group of young ministry leaders is seeking to do. Connecting all of this, one mm -hmm. of the beautiful things I was speaking about, about traditional um, in that document is that they quote a scripture like crazy. Oh my gosh, it's rampant. was very happy. Right. Yeah. Um, footnotes. I mean, there's, I, is it 30 footnotes? I was, I was looking at it here. Uh, only two of those, only two of those are at the uh, uh, quotations from the book of confessions. The rest are scripture. Yeah. yeah. It's all scripture references. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, Mary, I, I love how you've explained that because uh, so connecting to my life last night, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking to my son about protesting, about anti-fascism, about anti-racism, uh, uh, what, what that means. I, I gave him a little, you know, confessional history lesson about the theological declaration of Barman. 
his mind was blown that a church has said these things. Now, I was embarrassed. <laughs> He's a PK. <laughs> have, have I not taught him this before? But for, for young people to hear and to know and to understand um, that these are words that we say, but these words inform the actions that we take. And, and that's one of the things that I like about the confessions and that you've really helpfully and clearly articulated. Uh, and, and, it, and, and as we wrap up, it's, it's one of the lines in this confession uh, confession for such a time as this that I love. Uh, there at the end, after the last uh, we reject, we confess, we affirm, through all things, Christ continues to be our only source of hope in life and in death. There's a callback, right? There's a callback. For we belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior. Yet this does not absolve us of our responsibility to our human family or to creation as a whole. Indeed, the burden is on us to live the face we profess through action word and sacrament. I mean, that right there is an encapsulation. We say these words, but if all we're doing is saying words, right? Sounding gong, as the scripture says it, we might as well not even say these words. And so they lead us to the action that, that we are seeing. And, and I'm sorry that, that, that I'm going to read it just a bit further down from that. We stand up and speak out on behalf of the oppressed and the marginalized. This is our great burden and our joyful, joyful duty. Yes. Exclamation right. point. Exclamation it even has an exclamation point, point in there. <laughs> right. God, it's beautiful. It's so it beautiful. beautiful. So it's not, it's not only the writing, you know, we believe these things because we have this beautiful book called the Bible, you know, that, that speak all these things. This is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And until we do these things, right. Um, we're not done with, yeah. uh, with the work. That's what a confessional statement does. Amen. Right. Um, in, 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 in our tradition. And that's what I think these young, these, these young leaders, young leaders um, in, in our church are trying to tell the sin of the Northeast. Because another thing that's interesting in our context is that if not, if not us who, right? And what I mean by that is that if Presbyterians in the most densely populated part of the country with the longest political and religious history of our country are not going to put ourselves up for this, Who's going to do it, right? I mean, and people in Mid America can do it, and people on the West Coast um, can can do it. But I think there's something about the connection of our history, right? As a country, as a Reformed people, and as a Presbyterian Church USA in this corner of the world, that speaks directly into the passion that these folks that are trying to put in that document. Absolutely, it, it, it's similar to back in 2014 when Michael Brown was murdered. In this synod, uh, we are the whitest synod in the Presbyterian Church. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So we we felt a special uh, obligation. Uh, what what is the word? A, a great burden and a joyful duty. This happened in our backyard. We are responsible for making sure that there are things that we are doing to lead to lead this. So I I absolutely, I, I think you all are right. And I, and I think to, to, to that question about, you know, what, what makes a confession and, and, and what does that confession then lead us to do? I, I want to say this and say this really carefully, but I, but I think it needs to be said. I was in a conversation uh, with a friend last night um, who, who's not a you know, particularly churchgoer, right? Um, who said, Amani, could you explain to me what is this use uh, by your colleagues of, of the word prophetic or prophetic voice in this time? Like, huh, you know, what do you mean? And, and, and then we started talking a little bit uh, about that. And his concern is that we might be cheapening that term, you know, you know just putting it out there that, that, that in a time of difficulty, we need to be prophetic, right? And, 
and I told him, you know, that's interesting and, and that I agree with him, right? I, the confessions, I think, uh, provide for us a framework to understand that, the, that, that although the church is called to receive prophecy, the call of the church is not necessarily to be first and foremost prophetic. The role of the church is to be faithful, mm. right? And then, you know, Margaret Amer, the great Etete, Margaret Amer, you know, posted the other day on Facebook, and I was mind blown. Um, professor of, at the New Testament at, at Austin Seminary, she said, a Greek word for the moment that we are living is martureite, right? To be witness, which happens to be also from the same root of martyr, right? Which means witnesses who have died for the cause, right? So is the church called to be prophetic? Absolutely. But what the church is going to be held accountable for is being faithful and faithful in our witness. And that's what confessions do. Those folks in the 30s, those folks in the 80s, those folks in the 90s, those folks in the Reformation try to encourage their leaders and their congregations to be faithful because and in spite of what could happen to them, right? What is then our way? As me council leaders, you know, the, the three of us at the, on, on this call, ministers were listening to us, other at the congregation leaders, what are going to be ways? Not that we're going to say the right things, which we ought to do, but that we are going to be found faithful, right? In the work that we're doing because we believe these things. Mm. So, Amori, I want to ask um, something we ask everyone uh, before we let them go. And I, I'm, I'm especially interested to hear this from you because you... Um, you you care so much about words and the power of words to have an impact. What are you reading? What are you seeing out there that is giving you life, that is making you think that you think other people should be reading, or or maybe just that you have been glad you have had access to, especially in these um, really difficult and turbulent times? Um, I uh, found that I had a a copy of Meditations of the Heart, by Howard Thurman, uh, a mm. first edition signed by him. Wow. That, uh, right? <laughs> I know, we're, we're, we're jealous Landed, over here. Right. <laughs> um, Not fair. The long story short, um, a, a, a Baptist minister from Puerto Rico, you know, dear friend passed, his wife called a couple of us um, at the, to, to, to basically ransack his library, right? Um, and I picked this only because it, it, it was a book. I opened it up, it's signed by the guy. Right. The reason I'm saying that it both encourages me and saddens me that words of Howard Thurman are still so relevant today. Right. And what I am encouraged by is that I am hoping that with this conversation and with posts that some of us have been you know, putting on social media, um, there are all sorts of conversations, you know, we need to do the like whole day readouts of, of confessions so that people know these things, is that what I'm encouraged by is Presbyterians rediscovering, right, that it is at the core of who we are in spite of our participation in action or inaction in the building of oppressive structures that at a core, what has distinguished us from other religious expressions in history is that when things got really hot, 
we stood in the heat, right? And I think that's what Howard Thurman is encouraging me to do. And I think that's what the confessions are encouraging me to do. So Meditation from the Heart by Howard Thurman and the Book of Confessions of the President Church USA. <laughs> Part one of the Constitution Part of the Presbyterian the Church. Yes. <laughs> that is a good. Uh, that's a good plug from a fellow from a fellow company man. <laughs> right. I'm all about. I'm all about plugging the Book of Confessions. Amari, this has been stellar. Um, we've had we've had several good guests before, and you have definitely lived up to the hype oh, that I hyped you up at when I told Brian, I said, we're going to talk to a Maori. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, I, I know. It did not take any convincing. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I appreciate that. I truly do. Thank you. Uh, but a uh, we pray for you. Uh, we pray for your work, you and your colleagues up in the Northeast. Um, and we are, we, we especially today pray and give thanks to God uh, for our siblings who, who wrote this confession for such a time as this. It's a powerful piece. I hope it, I hope this, is one small step of getting it out into the, the larger consciousness of the church because I think it's very, it's very powerful and it's very important. And, Amen. And, and I'm grateful to you all. So, Maori, yes. thanks for taking the time, my friend. I'm my love to the Mid America folks.